Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. I don't know if you guys like the uh, movie franchise Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I really like that particular series of movies. One of my favorite scenes actually comes from the third installment in that franchise. It's called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. My guess is some of you, if not almost all of you, have probably seen that movie. The scene is when Dr. Jones and his evil adversaries are desperately seeking for what they call the Holy Grail. And what they mean by that is the last, the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. And they're they're searching desperately for for this cup. And when it's finally located, they pass through a series of traps. You know, that's how the movie's set up, right? I mean, just just one trap after another, and they make their way through it. And finally, they come to the spot where they can see the cup. But to their surprise, there are dozens of cups guarded by a medieval knight. And Dr. Jones's rival's anxious to get their hands on the cup, choose the most ornate cup they can find, thinking it's the authentic cup of Christ. And then one of them drinks from it, and if you've seen the movie, and I'm not spoiling anything here, well, yeah, I am, they instantly disintegrate right into the ground. They just turn to dust. And then the medieval knight, he looks at Dr. Jones, and he says these words. He says, he chose poorly, except he says it in an English accent, so it's a lot cooler. (laughs) And that's when Dr. Jones turns and he sees a simple cup, one that perhaps fits the life of a peasant carpenter. And he drinks from it. And the wise old knight looks in at him and he says, you have chosen wisely. I love that scene. And you know, as we come to chapter nine of the book of Proverbs, you and I are also confronted with having to make a critical choice. Everything in the first eight chapters of this book leads up to this dramatic moment in chapter nine. But unlike a movie script, our choice has real life consequences. Choosing wisely leads to enormous blessing. Choosing poorly leads to self-destruction and spiritual death. And so last week, as you know, we launched a brand new series called Daily Wisdom, and Pastor John encouraged all of us to to get involved with the Daily Wisdom Challenge. Let me remind you of what that challenge is. It kind of works like this. There's three levels to it. Level one is I will read one chapter from the book of Proverbs every day. So how are we doing on that? We we have a a number of, I see a number of hands going up, everybody... kind of tracking with reading a chapter of the book every day. Well, listen, if you haven't started yet, you can still jump in on this because you could read, you could read nine chapters today and we're going to read chapter nine here together. So you really only have eight more to go and you could catch up pretty quickly. But what's really cool is, um, that we're also posting daily wisdom devotions on our YouTube channel. And that helps, I think us dig a little deeper into each of the chapters. Also, level two, it says, I will pick one verse from each chapter to meditate on daily. So you want to lock in on a verse. You want to write it down. You want to memorize it. You want to internalize it. Someone told me that they're taking a a picture 
of a verse from each chapter, and they're saving it as the background on their phone, which is pretty cool because according to research, the average person, average person, so that some, for some it's a lot more, but the average person looks at their cell phone 63 times a day. So it's really a pretty cool idea because every time they look at their phone, they see that verse. Level three goes like this. I will not take the daily wisdom challenge alone. This is not a journey you want to take by yourself. I'm going to share my journey with others. So be sure to invite a coworker or a friend or a family member or somebody to join you in the challenge. And you could even set up a time during the week, perhaps, where you could make a phone call or you could get with them or have a lunch or whatever and talk about the things that you're reading and you're learning uh, from the book of Proverbs. But here's what we know. We know that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And he wasted no time revealing in chapter 1, verse 7, what his theme for the entire book is. The fear of the Lord, he said, is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is where knowledge begins. But fools despise wisdom. They turn away from wisdom. They ignore wisdom and instruction. This is the theme of the whole book. He repeats this verse at least twice, once in chapter one, verse seven. And today we'll see the same verse and worded just a little bit differently in chapter nine, verse 10. These are the words, by the way, of a father writing to his children. That's the way the book is set up. His mission is to carefully guide them to the best life possible. And so he writes chapter one through nine as poetry, as allegory, sparing no effort in building a compelling case to pursue wisdom. Up to this point in the book, his primary goal has been to convince them and to convince us as well to seek wisdom. And that when we do seek wisdom, it leads to abundant life, abundant blessing. And in chapter nine, where we're gonna look at today, Solomon gives his final appeal for pursuing wisdom. It's been an argument up to chapter, the end of chapter nine. In verse one of chapter 10, it says, now these are the Proverbs of Solomon. So the Proverbs really start proper in chapter 10. Up till now, it's been Solomon arguing, this is what you should do. If you want to live, this is the way you should go. And today he makes his final argument for that. Solomon asks us to imagine, and we're going to get to the text in a moment. Let me set it up for you. Solomon gets to, Solomon asks us to imagine two houses. One on one side of the road, one on the other side of the road. On the one side, a house stands open with an elegant woman at the entrance. Her name, let's call her Lady Wisdom. And she's inviting us to join her for a banquet. All the preparations have been made. She spared no expense. Her menu consists of the rich and the filling words of wisdom. On the other side of the road, however, another house stands open. And in its doorway stands a seductive mistress. Let's call her Madam Folly. And she's inviting us to join her banquet as well. Her menu is tempting, and to many it's very sweet. But her food does not nourish the soul. In fact, she traffics in half-truths and stolen property. And so Solomon presents with, to us these two choices, two invitations. And the question becomes, which one will we accept? Two invitations, two banquets, 
both prepared, both ready, which one will we accept? Now, before we consider further our decision, I want to make us aware of two important truths. Here's the first truth. Our past proves problematic. What do I mean by this? Well, we've been confronted with making critical choices before. And frankly, it's not always as easy as it looks, even when the right choice is obvious. Jesus actually said it like this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And few or many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You see, Jesus describes two different gates. The wide one leading to life. The narrow one leading to death. Solomon uses the same analogy, but he uses two doorways. Two, two invitations. And according to Jesus, a lot of people choose poorly. It said many are those who choose the wide gate and the broad road. Many people choose poorly. We tend to follow the crowd. We tend to ignore the warning signs. We, we put our trust in the things of this world instead of the things of God. And in many ways, we're not too different from the two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus. They chose poorly. And like them, we're guilty as charged, every one of us, and we're desperate for pardon, just like they were. Yet, as their lives literally hung in the balance between heaven and hell, there was still time for them to choose. There's still time for us to choose. And one thief, as you know, chose poorly, and the other thief, well, he chose wisely. The New Testament doesn't sugarcoat our situation either. Paul gives us this stark reality when it comes to our own lives. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's something that we need to take note of. He also writes this. There is none righteous, not even one. The point of these two passages is that we've all made poor choices. In the face of choosing that which is good and that which is evil, we've all chosen, at least at some point in our lives, that which is evil. And if this doesn't grab your attention, I think it should, because there's not a single one of us who doesn't have a long list of deep regrets caused by sinful choices. We all carry emotional and relational and spiritual scars to prove it. It's like Solomon's grabbing us by the shoulders and he's just, he's shaking us. He's saying, beware, look out, pay attention, because what's clearly the right choice is not always the easy choice to make. Just ask an addict. They'll tell you they know the right choice, but it's not so easy for them to make. Speak to someone drowning in debt, and they'll tell you that they never intended to become a slave to the bank. The college student who cheats on an exam and gets expelled, or the spouse who cheats on their mate and destroys their family, or the business owner who cheats on their taxes and goes to court, all will testify to the destructive and the deadly and the seductive power of sin. Our past is problematic. Here's the second important fact that we need to know before we launch into chapter nine. And that's this, the gospel speaks to the real you in a new way. The gospel speaks to the real you in a new way. And when I say the real you, I'm talking the whole you, the messy you, the you that, that sometimes falls short of living up to God's righteous standard. And here's what the gospel says. I love this verse, probably 
one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, this verse is the gospel in a nutshell. Aren't you glad that perfection is not a requirement in order to be loved by God? I mean, if that was the case, none of us would have the love of God in the way that we want it. But God doesn't require us to be perfect in order to love us. And this is the greatest news ever right here, that God doesn't demand that we clean up before he shows up. In fact, while we were still, while we were yet sinners, while we were actively sinning, God showed up, that Jesus shows up and he invites us to follow him. In fact, taking the example of Proverbs chapter nine, he invites us to dine with him. He invites us to his table that we might get to know him. Jesus, you see, Jesus eats with sinners. That's what he does. And when we accept his invitation to new life, two things happen, full pardon from our sin and full adoption into the family of God. And that's the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus gives us full pardon for our sins when we follow him. And he invites us into full adoption in the family of God when we follow him. And that's the gospel of Christ in a nutshell. And so to drive this point home, Solomon uses the word son 22 times in the first eight chapters because he's talking to his children. He's talking to his, his family. Remember, he, he's writing from the point perspective of a father. But at the same time, God is writing this word to you and I. It's not only to Solomon's children. It's from God's perspective to the whole world, including me and you. So this is who we are standing at the crossroads of chapter nine of the book of Proverbs, wrecked and ruined by sin, yet loved and rescued by Jesus. And so now we come to chapter nine. It's divided into three paragraphs of six verses. So it's 18 verses total. It's not a long chapter. And the first three, well, I should say the first and the third paragraph mirror one another. They're like bookends to the chapter. Each one is an invitation an invitation to a banquet. And then the middle six verses present the key to unlocking our hearts and ultimately how we're gonna decide which of these two invitations we're gonna accept. So let's take a look at the first invitation that Solomon mentions. In the opening section, he says that Lady Wisdom offers you an invitation to life. And here we go. She says this, wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. Now, the house that wisdom has built is the book of Proverbs. The house that wisdom has built is the book of Proverbs and the wisdom of God that it contains. This is an allegory. Solomon saying that wisdom has built its house. The house is actually the book of Proverbs containing all of the wisdom of God. And the house, she says, is set up, all, set up its seven pillars. What does that mean? That conveys the size and the scope of the house. In other words, it's large enough for everyone who chooses to enter. No one is turned away from God's house. All those who seek wisdom are welcome to dine with her. Verse two, she's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set up her table. You see, there is no junk food served at this feast. Only the rich wisdom of God is served here. Solomon says, the food is ready so come on now, what God offers, he offers to you at this moment, and he couldn't be more generous. Let's keep going. She sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city. 
Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. You see, the Hebrew word here for simple doesn't mean unintelligent. It doesn't mean slow of mind. It refers to those who are uncommitted, those who, have, who are undecided. And maybe because they're undecided, maybe because they're, they're too busy or they're, they're uh, uninterested, or maybe they're even skeptical of spiritual things. There is, however, urgency in verse five. It says, come, and the implication is, the banquet is available now, so come now while the food is hot. The house is built, the door is open, the table is set, the food is ready, and Solomon pleads for us to come now and see that the Lord is good. This past, uh, this past Sunday, a week ago from today, uh, Pastor Randy Green received a phone call from a, a gentleman he, he, he had never met before, a, a guy named David. And he called and he introduced himself to, to Randy and, and, they, and he said he had just finished reading the Bible. Randy said the whole Bible. He said, I just finished reading the whole Bible. And uh, David described that he had faith in Jesus, but um, he had never been baptized. So he wanted to talk about baptism. And so they talked about it and they planned actually for the baptism to be today, uh, this Sunday. But the very next day, David called back and he said, hey, Pastor Randy, you know, I've been reading some more in the Bible. And he said, I was reading the book of Acts and it says there was a certain man there who had come to faith in Jesus. And he said to Philip, he said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And the implication is now. And so this verse compelled David to make a wise choice to respond to the Lord quickly. And so instead of waiting until today to be baptized, David was baptized on Tuesday. And it reminds us of the verse that says, choose this day whom you will serve, right? So there's an urgency to the, to, the, to the invitation, to the request that God is offering to you and I. So what's the price of admission to this banquet, to the feast that Lady Wisdom has uh, presented to us? Very, very simply, it says in verse six, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. You see, the cost is a repentant heart. Solomon's advice to his children and to us is to abandon, to abandon our old and weary, uncommitted, undecided ways and fill ourselves with the rich wisdom of God. But let's not forget, this is not the only invitation that's out there. We have another invitation, a different bank banquet happening right across the street. And it's here at this banquet that Madame Folly offers you an invitation, not to life, but to death. Let's pick it up in verse 13 and see what the invitation consists of. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point in the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple, she says, come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret, it's delicious. You see, Madame Folly raises her voice to grab your attention, but then she comes to a seductive whisper to draw you in closer. She sits at the door of her house, calling to all of those who pass by, who are going about their own business. And her announcement is similar 
to the announcement of Lady Wisdoms, but it's not exactly the same. She says, whoever is uncommitted and, and undecided, that part is the same. Both are calling to the uncommitted, those who have not chosen which way they will live their lives. They're calling to those who are undecided. She says, let them turn in here. Both make their speeches from the high places of the city so everyone can hear them. Both offer food, both make promises, but the invitations are not the same. Madam Folly is sitting idly in her doorway. She's loud and she's noisy and she's foolish and she uses seduction to lure in her guests. Instead of preparing a feast, she serves stolen food, stolen water, and she delights in the fact that it's stolen. She's a smuggler. She's a, a thief, a, a liar, and she stands against everything wisdom, Lady Wisdom has to offer. She seduces by the attraction of what's forbidden and done in secret, and she lures her victims into her, cra- her, her, her trap and by telling them half-truths, offering them lies. She'll do whatever she can to convince you that sin has lasting pleasure and that you will, not be, you will be able to wiggle out of the consequences or maybe not even have to suffer for them, from them at all, but she lies. She offers false promises along with a life of emptiness and dissatisfaction. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part comes in the next verse. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. And now we see what looks like a table is really just a trap. Tables are meant to bring people together and to be encouraged and to be filled. And unlike the life-giving table of Jesus where we celebrate him, his death and his burial and his resurrection, Folly's table is a place of death and destruction. So how do we decide which invitation to accept? Do we go to the invitation of Lady Wisdom or do we answer the call of Madam Folly. What will we do? It seems like a no-brainer. Of course, we'll choose the better banquet. Of course, we'll choose wisdom. Of course, we'll choose life. But remember, we all have a track record that's problematic. We often choose folly over wisdom. We often choose death over life. So how do we, how do we make the right decision? Well, the middle section, the middle six verses are the key to unlocking our hearts and ultimately how we're going to decide whose invitation to respond to. And so here are the verses. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, though, you alone will suffer. You see, Solomon here in the middle six verses identifies two kinds of people. Someone who is wise and someone who is a scoffer or a mocker. A mocker is a person who is prideful and arrogant and disrespectful. A mocker submits to no one's authority but his own, and he despises any kind of correction. If you try to instruct someone who is a mocker, they will bow up and and fight back. In their own insecurity, they'll 
insult you and dishonor you and maybe even physically lash out at you. And in the end, a mocker is responsible for his own misery. A wise person, on the other hand, has come to see that humility and teachability are the pathways to wisdom. A wise person understands there is always a next step in your journey with Jesus. And a wise person welcomes correction and instruction so they can continue to grow. A wise person understands the principle of the path. The principle of the path. It goes like this. The direction you are currently headed in life, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all kinds of different areas. The direction you're headed in any given area of your life, the direction determines where you will end up in those areas. Your direction determines your destination. The way you are going determines where you will end up in that area of your life. This is true, regardless of your goals, your dreams, your wishes, your wants. It's an immutable principle. Your direction will determine your destination. So I'll give you an example. Last fall, uh, my wife and I, we went to North Carolina for her birthday in October. Beautiful time to go there. And the only way you can get to North Carolina from here is well, you got two options, really. You can go north on I-75 or you can go north on I-95. It matters not which path you take, but you do have to go north, right? You do have to go north. You can pack your bags, get everything neatly tucked in the car. You could spend days or hours just making sure you have all the right equipment that you're going to take. You can wave goodbye to your neighbors. You can inform them of your plans and your trip. You can even pray in the car before you leave out of the driveway. But if you get on I-75 or I-95 and you go south, you will not get to North Carolina. (laughs) Because your direction determines your destination. It's amazing how many people don't connect the dots between the choices that they make and the outcome they experience. They don't understand the path. They don't understand that direction determines destination regardless of intention. I could head south on I-75 and say, I'm going to North Carolina. That's my goal. But I'm not going to get there. Intention is not as important as direction. Some have come to believe the popular notion that as long as their intentions are good, as long as they do their best, try their hardest, it doesn't really matter which banquet they attend. They believe that somehow they're going to end up in a good place, and it's not true. And Solomon's goal all of, for, for all of the first nine chapters is to help us see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is a repeat of verse 7 from chapter 1. Solomon repeats this wisdom as he concludes this prologue to the book of Proverbs. And he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. And the knowledge of the Holy One gives us insight, makes us wise, provides understanding. On the surface, our decision seems like a no-brainer. 
That's because the right choice is pretty obvious. The problem is, deep down, we're all mockers. We're all scoffers. How do we know this? Jeremiah tells us this. The heart is deceitfully, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. Our own heart tricks us into making the wrong decision. It's desperately sick because of the sin in the world and in our lives. And this is why this decision can feel paralyzing. To make the right decision requires more than just information. It requires transformation of the heart. And here's the beauty of the gospel. God knows that our hearts are broken. He knows that we need his help. He knows that we need a heart transplant. And Jesus summed up his entire mission this way. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I've not come to call the righteous. You see, there are some people who are already in the banquet of Lady Wisdom. They've already made their decision. Jesus says, I come to call those who are still undecided. Come to call those who are still uncommitted. He says, I've come to call sinners to repentance. So God the Father sent God the Son to be the great physician, to heal the world, to heal us from our sin, from our sickness. And God pursues, pursues us every day with the question of how will you respond to me? You know, Jesus is inviting you now to receive his very best. And according to the New Testament, Jesus actually is the wisdom of God. He's a personification of all of the wisdom of God. The one who has prepared a feast at no cost to you and me, although it did cost him his life. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so everyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness can enter into his house his house of wisdom and live. And so I'm going to close our time together with these, these words. These come from the prophet Isaiah. So let me, let me read this passage to you and then we'll pray. Isaiah says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you send your money, spend your money for all that which is not bread and your labor for that, which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, he says, and eat what is good and delight yourself in the rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here, he says, and your soul may live. You have a banquet to attend. Question is, which one are you going to go to? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. We know you love us more deeply than we can possibly begin to understand or imagine. You are so very good, but you don't force us. You give us a choice. You let us draw a conclusion. You, you allow us to weigh the consequences. And Lord, we come to you this day. We've thought deeply about who you are and who we are and how much we need you in our lives. We want to seek wisdom. We want to seek goodness. We want to, to dine on the rich truths of your word to fill us up and to make us whole. 
we thank you for giving us such a lavish banquet, being so good to us, even when we do not deserve it. Even in the midst of our sin, you have come to rescue us. Call us back home. Fill us up. So, Lord, we're so grateful. And I know there are people here today, those here who are here today, Father, who need this word to be reminded that, well, we just need to be careful which way we choose. Thank you for providing for us a pathway and helping us to see clearly how much you love us and what you've done for us. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.